but most of your customer service and your problems are coming from all of these like $30 basically buyer type of customers. What you'll actually find, and this is what I try to convey to people that are in that kind of stage, is that look, if you actually charged a couple thousand dollars and gave somebody a bit more attention and you actually serviced and provided awesome value, there'd be less headache, less problems, you'd enjoy what you're doing more, and you'd be making way more money. This is the Customer Acquisition Show, the podcast that helps you turn complete strangers into repeat customers and grow your business. Hello, and welcome to the Customer Acquisition Show. I am Tom Meredith, your host and the VP of Marketing here at Tier 11. And today I am joined by basically my partner in crime in the front side of Tier 11, our VP of Growth, Steve Lyman. Welcome, Steve. Mr. Meredith, it's a pleasure yeah. to see you again. Uh, yesterday, it's always a pleasure. <laughs> I know, I'm stoked to have you here. We always have such fun conversations internally, so it'll be good to talk about this stuff externally. Just a little bit of background on Steve. He doesn't look this old, but he's got 20 <laughs> years of experience in high-ticket sales, building out and scaling sales organizations, and generally knows, in my opinion, everything there is to know about sales. Would you agree or disagree, sir? Oh, man. Sales is an evolution. It really is. It's an ongoing process. I think that the minute you think you know everything about sales, yeah, you're stuck in the mud. No, thank you very much, Tom. That was a very nice introduction. But to say I know everything about sales is probably a bit of a stretch. I happen to have been doing it, though, for a very long time. It's my birthday next weekend, which I'm going to be hanging out with you on the 30th, by the way, in LA. So I'm looking forward to that. And I'll be 44. But yeah, I've been scaling and growing out sales organizations for the last 20 years. So I come with a little bit of experience yeah managed a few hundred sales reps on organizations yeah. do you like hit a couple of like high points of things that you're maybe most proud of through those last 20 years or oh man like in your mind or people you've worked with even <laughs> yeah gosh I've had the privilege of working with some pretty influential marketers. I think I've worked with and helped people scale and grow their back-end sales organizations. A handful of Two Comma Club winners did a lot of work with Cat for a little while. Cat Hal over there at Social, can't remember, what was it, Social Aid or something like that Her was her business. Travis Stevens, Peter Prue did some work with. Probably one of my most enjoyable experience was having the opportunity to come in and help Todd Brown originally start his high-ticket sales offer. The guy is an absolute genius, very good marketer, absolute pleasure to work with, and just a really sharp team. Back in the day, I've been at this for a long time before Russell started his click funnels, kind of a funny story. One of my really good friends was actually his partner and sales manager, Garrett Robbins, who I've been buddies with for a very long time. We were in the midst of actually shooting an infomercial with Russell. It's kind of funny. He tells this story about him coming home from Las Vegas and deciding to start click funnels. That story in Las Vegas was a meeting with me where we were going to actually fund an infomercial and him start that. But he decided to start ClickFunnels. Apparently, he made the right decision because it seemed to have done okay as a business and stuff like that. And who knows? The infomercial could have been a train wreck anyway. Yeah. Never around know. Space. I'm old. So. Nah. All right. So I guess let's start kind of at the basics as maybe a course creator or somebody, you know, is just a gen like a coach that wants to start to build out their like their higher priced offers. What yeah. is what do you consider like high ticket sales and what is a sales organization and what's that kind of look like for maybe somebody who's a solo operator right now? 
Yeah. So when you look at the high ticket sales space in general, the way that I look at it, and some people, I think from an ego standpoint, they'll be like, oh, high tickets, nothing less than like $10,000, $25,000, $100,000 deals, which those are obviously certainly out there. But here's from my experience is that anytime that you're offering a product or service over $2,000, there needs to be a human element to it. People need to have rapport. They need to have connection. They need to have some sort of intimacy to be able to ask questions, feel like they're making a good decision prior to when they actually purchase. So regardless of whether it's $2,000 or above, one of the things that I've always helped customers do is to implement a process where there's some connection or call, obviously, in order to be able to help that transaction go smoothly, set the right expectations, make sure the customer is obviously set up for success. And yeah, really scale and grow. So that's how I look at high ticket sales. It'll be interesting because we're going to be this week, this next week, we're going to be in LA. And I think me and you are more meeting on obviously like sales and marketing and stuff like that. But I know that Ralph is going to be doing meeting and shooting a course, which is pretty dang cool with Kajabi out there in LA. And those guys are a fairly decent sized business. So when you look at this like course creation space, it's a huge industry. And I look at this space as I'm just like, oh my gosh regardless of the vertical that you're actually in, there is so much opportunity to be able to touch those individuals who are actually purchasing low ticket type courses. And I think this is one of the biggest misconceptions. One of the, what I guess from my experience, one of the things, and this is going back to the fact that I'm old, is that oftentimes people think about like high ticket sales as some sort of offer that has to do with making more money. And let me explain to you what I mean by that, whether it's like an, a business opportunity or whether it's a B2B transaction, like me selling our agency services or me selling business consulting services, is that's typically all of what somebody will actually purchase within the high ticket sell space. That is far from the truth. I'll even give you some examples. A friend of mine, Jesse LeBeau, who in fact, I've got a call with this afternoon. I've worked with him on helping him to map out some of his sales process. He's a friend and he called me and asked me for some sales advice and I've tried to help out. He market and advertises a product or service specifically to parents to help their kids elevate their confidence level. It's an amazing program. It's a $5,000 offer. He does really well with it. I've worked with guys like Andrew Hunoon, who's got a phenomenal course or product where he market and advertises to women that are over 45 that have struggled with weight loss. That's a $5,000 program. So it's like whether you're marketing and advertising like a how to get organized product, whether it's just a life coaching, people oftentimes don't realize the opportunity that's on the back end side of their business, if they put in some real simple processes to create rapport and connection with their customers. So when you look at a value ladder in marketing and advertising that we always talk about, like how do you take customers? Really, that's just a form of communication. How do you create deeper, better rapport at a different level of engagement with the customer, essentially to help them to reach their desired destination? People in the course creation space, because of the fact that they think I don't have some sort of offer that doesn't provide a monetary outcome, oftentimes get stuck on like the course part, where to me, that's the blue ocean out there in the marketing world is helping those individuals recognize the opportunity that they have with selling additional services and products. So how do you like a little bit about there? But uh, no, that's good. You're going to get thinking like. So a lot of, I imagine, course creators are probably 
maybe don't have the confidence that for such a high ticket offer, creating that or feeling confidence in putting out a $5,000 offer. How do you, when you work with a course creators or anybody else, coach them up to be like, no, you've got something special here. Here's how much I think you could charge for it, but here's what we have to get there. So here's what's interesting about every individual is that they've taken their expertise or they've taken their talent and they've gone through the energy and basically work of, of essentially putting together a course or a product and provided value. I'd say that the, probably the number one thing that, that people go with in business, and this is going to sound super cliche, super Tony Robbins, is their own limiting beliefs. It's their own lack of imposter syndrome. It's their own, it's their own self-doubt. It's putting themselves in their potential customers, basically, wallet and making basically decisions based off of their own insecurities about that offering, if that makes sense. So there's this, this belief shift that has to actually happen with somebody that that coincides with with monetization inside of their business that it's got to shift once course creators make that kind of shift and wait a minute i can actually provide way more value and get way or happy customers and get way better result by engaging with them at a deeper level they're going to get better results they're going to be happier and they're going to end up getting the results that they're looking for Back in the day, I look, I've ran a lot of low ticket type of offers before courses, products, stuff like that. And I've worked with a lot of people that have done that. We have at the agency as well, tier 11. We love working with those kind of customers. The reality is that oftentimes those yes. low ticket offerings oftentimes is the biggest pain in the butt from a customer standpoint. So what happens is this course creator gets on Kajabi, they figure out how to market and advertise this course. It's awesome. They like it. But most of your customer service and your problems are coming from all of these like $30 basically buyer type of customers. What you'll actually find, and this is what I try to convey to people that are in that kind of stage, is that look, if you actually charged a couple thousand dollars and gave somebody a bit more attention and you actually serviced and provided awesome some value, there'd be less headache, less problems, you'd enjoy what you're doing more, and you'd be making way more money. So there's some shifts that oftentimes people have to make. And it's not back-end high-ticket sales as a new concept. It's just that there's a lot of verticals that just haven't embraced it where there's a tremendous amount of opportunity. It's funny, we always talk about using the voice of the customer, like getting your customer's head and yeah. what the conversations that's going on there. But I think you hit on something that's really important, like nuance to that is don't put yourself in your customer's head. You have to take their own thoughts and don't put yourself in your customer's wallet because they make their own money and can make their own decisions. It's your job as the course creator to put out something of high enough value that they see the value in it. So that's a really inter interesting nuance to the whole idea. Yeah, so inevitably where you want to be at from a course creator standpoint, from a mindset standpoint, is getting to the point where you can feel great and provide a service where you know, without a doubt, that person paying you whatever it is that you're actually charging is the best decision actually for them based off the product and service that you offer that solves a particular problem. When I jump on co conversations with people inside of tier 11, especially when we've produced a strategic growth plan, Tom, and I'm seeing their numbers, sometimes I have to table that, hey, let me just say this right out of the gates. You got to be nuts to not hire us. I have to table that. But that's to the passion that you've got you've to have on the course creation side with, hey, I know exactly who you are. I know exactly what your problems are. And I know exactly how to fix them. And this is the best decision for you. 
inevitably that mentality ends up converting and making the business a lot more profitable. So it's a lot more of a mindset thing than an actual verbal thing. You'd be dumb to make this, not make this decision. Don't like, say that. Don't you say gotta, that. Like, embody that and be like, buddy. Yeah, exactly. It's about embodying it and believing it. And as long as that's the case, then you're on the right track in business. If you can en encompass those things for sure. So when we were prepping a little bit here, you wanted, you said you had some thoughts about the current state of sales. Mm. What were you thinking? Yeah. And I think when it comes to like course creators and coaches, consultants and stuff like that, there's a lot of offers inside of the marketplace talking about like appointment setters and some of the skill sets that are actually required to run a, a really successful coaching business. And a lot of times, like I said, there's people out there talking about like appointment setters, somebody that is one of the biggest things. 15 years ago, I used to have this business that we sold a lot of front-end marketing and products. Where we started to become extremely profitable is when we started to set up systems and processes to not only call all of like the book scheduled call people, but to actually start reaching out to everybody that had actually opted in, everybody that was on our email list, everybody that bought a low ticket product but didn't book. So there's some misconceptions about the high ticket sales space. What ends up happening is that depending on the vertical that you're in, so if you're in like a higher end type vertical, like if I was marketing and advertising to coaches or consultants, and I would hire and train fairly high level talented individual that could be calling, setting up appointments that also had the skill set. Some people call it a triage call or essentially like a set to a close type call. I, for a frame of reference, let's call it a triage call. The skill set that's actually required is really understanding two things. Okay. And this is for people out there that possibly are listening that are trying to get into sales or high ticket sales or whatever it may be, or for business owners that are actually thinking in terms of their business, how do I monetize? How do I get better results? If you have a high end type product, like your coach or consultant, and you have a premium price, let's call it over $5,000. You need to hire somebody that's actually like domestic that is willing to really get into the trenches and work full-time on reaching out through social media and older leads. There's a couple different buckets from a priority standpoint of where that individual should be focusing their time. They should be focusing that time on setting themselves up for basically 30 minute, what I would call a triage call. Those calls then would go into an experienced, essentially closer, somebody that has a lot of experience with going through a full presentation, understanding the prospects, obviously needs, and there's a whole entire process that we can talk about that process some other time, and essentially closing that deal. Now, one of the biggest misconceptions just has to do with the type of offering that you have. If you're in a vertical or a space where you just have a ridiculous amount of like opt-ins or people are coming into like your potential product all of the time, that is not somebody that you should hire from a domestic standpoint. There should be three stages in which you should be looking at your processes. First off, I've found that utilizing or hiring people in South America, particularly like Colombia and Guatemala are some of the best talent and they're willing to work extremely hard and you're able to pay them a wage that works very well for them. You've got to empower and educate and teach those individuals how to essentially create additional appointments out of all of those data, then you need a little bit higher of a skill set individual to do those triage calls. 
and then it then goes to a closing process. So there's a bit of some mis- miscommunication, I think, outside in the market as to what is the best way to monetize our backend sales offerings other than just having a sales rep field all of those book scheduled calls. You have to think of it in terms of who's my audience, what is the best system or process that's going to make the most sense, and how can I hire talent that's willing to work extremely hard based off of the vertical that I'm actually in versus a lot of the ruckus outside in the marketplace where it's just like, oh, you need appointment setters. Problem is that if you try to hire somebody that's in college, domestic, that's only going to work a couple hours and you got to pay them 20 bucks an hour plus commission, they're never going to get the job done. You've got to find the right talent, which which is a bit of a process for sure. It's interesting, like kind of the transformation we've been going through at Tier 11 with hiring this new COO and like this idea of going vision, journey, culture, results versus vision results. Like you're talking about like you having to have the whole journey there built out so you know you have the right people in the right spots so that there are results at each step of the process. Yeah, 100%. And we've seen a pretty amazing just transformation from an operational standpoint in the last 45 days. And this is no, this is no knock to tier 11 up to this up, up to this point it's been full of a bunch of very highly talented marketers a couple salespeople, ralph who's very good at a lot of different levels from an operational standpoint and a sales and marketer but at the end of the day he's also a marketer he understands advertising seeing this new individual kind of come in and put into systems and processes that just end up getting better even better results for our customers has been has been super amazing. But yeah, you have to think of it in terms of the entire journey specific to like the niche and the vertical that you're actually in. And what are the actual stages that need to happen in order to improve overall results? So what ends up happening oftentimes is that the coach consultant vertical oftentimes will say, Oh, you need you need sales reps. I need to hire closers. And what ends up happening is that they'll figure out a way to be able to generate book scheduled calls. But the big thing that's actually missing is that, that entire journey from a messaging standpoint, meaning we talk a lot about this inside of our camp framework, making sure that from an awareness stage at even the ad level, the messaging all the way through the entire like sales funnel process, all the way down to getting to a conversation with a sales team or a sales organization. When that's 100% congruent and makes logical sense to the prospect, you have a very winning dynamic. What oftentimes happens for new coaches, consultants, even course creators that are trying to jump into this high-ticket sales space is that the messaging from the information that somebody has consumed or purchased up to that point and the way that they go about trying to implement their sales or their high ticket, so to speak, offering, it's not congruent with the messaging that the customer has actually experienced. So what ends up happening is consumers spider senses start to just, okay, are they they just trying to sell me something like sales Sales is a simple process when it's a byproduct of good marketing. Does that make sense? You don't have to hard sell. You don't, when it makes logical sense, oh, I've purchased this project. Now I watched, now it makes logical sense as far as like my initial training call to have. And then that leads into wanting to have another conversation with the team on how I can 
up-level my experience, whatever it may be. The advice is like really think through and map out that entire process to make sure that the messaging is entirely congruent and then assess and evaluate what are the monetization buckets or who are the people that need to be in place to get the best value and the best results for the customers that are actually there. Because here's what happens when that system is streamlined and it's congruent the old cliche thing in marketing and advertising is that, hey, the person that can spend the most money on marketing and advertising essentially wins. That streamlined process, because you've figured out how to be able to communicate properly all the way through that entire funnel, and you've got a clear value ladder built out, it's very difficult to compete with somebody. That's why you see people that may not necessarily even sometimes have the best, maybe even the best part, the best product, but I would say that it's still going to be very good. Why they're the quote unquote category king in their vertical is because they have a very, very well thought out system and process and value ladder that just makes natural sense for the consumers to go to the next stage. Don't get me rambling on this stuff, Tom. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I'll go off, it's man. funny how like how you think about this and how I think about it. Like we yeah. meet right here because you, you hit on camp, a customer acquisition amplification which we have a pretty big like framework over at tier11.com slash camp, C-A-A-M-P. But basically, it's how us as marketers t- think about the customer journey when we're inter- engaging with somebody online from completely unaware to a closed sale. And it is different messaging all the way through. But what you're suggesting is the con- customer journey doesn't end at the sale or it doesn't end at the marketing. It goes to the sales and then in our case, like the onboarding and making sure that's all congruent <laughs> is really important. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So what ends, here's the typical model. If you're a coach consultant and you're like, I want to start a high ticket coaching offer. Here's what ends up happening is the coach or consultant hands you this like sales process or script and says, just go ahead and read this because look at the success that I'm having and you're going to go out there and make money. It's probably one of the biggest mistakes that new course creator, new high ticket sales or high ticket coaches, consultants can actually make because they don't think of it linear and what ends up happening. And I, t- I talk a lot about this anytime that I've helped sales organizations is that I'll talk about this like story framing at the very beginning. So a typical high ticket sales offering, the sales rep will get on the phone and they're like, okay, excited to be able to talk with you. What made you want to join the call? Okay, great. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you some questions. We're going to find out what's going on with you. If I feel like I can help you or we can help you, then we can talk about what it is that we exactly do. And that's typically how 95% of most sales conversations happen inside of the marketing. If you look at, obviously, thank goodness that now we're having live events and stuff like that. But for all of you guys that have actually been to a, a really successful seminar, that seminar at the very beginning of each basically speaker, what ends up happening, Tom? So when a new speaker ends up actually coming on, what inevitably always happens prior to that speaker actually joining the stage and then presenting his information? Or her information. Basically, silence or some music, and then somebody comes on and gives them an intro. Okay, exactly. So what happens is that there is this introduction, there's this shift from an authority standpoint, there's this shift from, okay, now we're moving on. Here's why you should pay attention to that individual. Here's what's in it for you to actually listen to, or why you should actually listen and how that's going to impact you to engage the prospect. So they make this smooth transition from one speaker to the next by 
essentially passing off the authority from one person to the next to keep the audience engaged and to giving them the most value that they possibly can. So from a sales standpoint, when you look at that linear process, when you implement this, like kind of like what I call like a story framework. So mm-hmm. at the very beginning of a conversation, what I suggest that people need to do is tie in the funnel of journey that they've actually experienced. Give a brief overview as to why you're actually there, why you're on the call, why you do what you actually do and frame out in that story framework prior to getting into the conversation so that the prospect is clear on the intention of what the conversation is going to be about there. You've the salesperson or business owners position themselves as an authority because of the marketing journey. When all of these things end up happening, it becomes a smooth transition and a better experience for the prospect that ends up with way better sales results. So it's really thinking all the way through. Camp doesn't just start at like the sell from an e-com standpoint. Camp is really that whole entire journey, thinking about it in terms of value ladder as well. So would you say, I don't know if it's fair to say, but a lot of the coaching in the high ticket sales space is very focused on like the technical and the easy wins where if you are building out a high ticket sales process and system, you really have to put in a lot of the hard work and thoughtful work up early. Yeah, I would say that where course creators, high ticket coaches, consultants basically make a mistake is thinking through their process and thinking, all right, where because the market continues to basically like shift, right? So from a marketing and advertising standpoint, six years ago, you used to be able to put up an opt-in and run a 45-minute VSL to an application page and you could get a book scheduled call for $150 and a sales one salesperson could jump on, take that call and you had a 10x ROAS on your business. It was just simple processes. Now... Seven years later, marketing and advertising, consumers, prospects, their vision has actually changed. So what's happened is that funnel cycle has had to shift where it's we've people of marketers have had to make it easier for people to basically get inside of the funnel process. They've had to get very good at the information once they're inside of that funnel to educate them throughout that process. Then having this book scheduled call versus boom, opt-in, content, call, and then also assessing where the stages or where are the gaps in which people aren't taking and then putting in systems and process, i.e. triage, i.e. setters in place to make sure that those people are moving down that pathway to get the most out of the business. So it's you have to think, okay, what's the market? What do people want to consume? What will they actually consume? And what is my marketing hook and offering in the first place that actually draws them in, makes it want, makes it, makes that enticing offer to actually join that process. And then making sure that they're educated to the point where they're in a buying state to actually purchase. That roadmap sometimes is difficult for people to completely understand and map out. That's where yeah, they go wrong. Yeah, it may my own bias, but I think there's so much like easy wins or people see so many wins out there that they try to hop on the easiest thing yeah. and then they end up getting frustrated because they didn't do the hard, thoughtful work. So, yeah. go ahead. 
No, you talk about the hard, thoughtful work is that Ralph is really good at this. Todd Brown is a genius when it comes to this. It's the better that you understand. He really, with his clients, he'll really take a lot of time and really diving in and understanding, helping the business owner completely understand that journey roadmap and framework, which is a pain in the butt sometimes to do all of that work. But that's actually what sells that makes sense. It's the better that you understand that framework, the better that you understand the prospects needs wants, and the better that you can articulate and educate to the sales process. Now it's not selling. Now it's just next natural step that somebody should actually make. So like within tier 11, we always have quite a few like course creators and info products and coaches. And I know that as a, a value add that you'll often hop on with them and like wait their sales organization and give them some tips. Like what are some of the biggest mistakes that you're seeing and some of the easiest wins that you've helped them implement? Yeah. So here's what's interesting. We'll even table like some of the course creators and we can get to that here in a second. What I've noticed, probably even a more glaring observation is a lot of our customers that run paid advertising for some sort of like service or product that is like a true brick brick and mortar type business that have some sort of front desk type of person that's fielding those calls that is essentially the hinge between the business succeeding and actually losing. One instance, we don't have to get into what business and stuff like that. There's been two instances recently where there's, and look, like as, an, as somebody that's been in the sales space and the minute that somebody starts saying the leads aren't very good, my ears just perk up, right? I'm going to go, oh, okay, the leads aren't very good. So let's assess what's going on. So I was able to basically get call recordings. Here's what was end up happening. Hi, okay, all right, sounds good. Here's the price point. I'll send you an invoice and let me know if you have any questions. I was blown away at what I was actually hearing. I was blown away. So I was like, okay, stop everything. You don't have a lead problem. You have a sales problem. One of our customers in the psychology space, right? I'd never thought about psychiatrist front desk really preventing their business from actually reaching their goals. So that's what was actually happening. The front desk person was basically jumping on the call, telling the person the price point, nonchalant, do you want it or not? And I was like, look, here's what has to happen. Okay, what has to happen is you you have to immediately connect with the individual. You have to make sure that you understand their desires, what they're looking for, understand if they've ever actually had or purchased any of these kind of services before, create and educate the prospect on the difference between what you do and everybody else does, then get into the pricing framework. So by just creating, basically just saying, no, never do that, but actually go through like a sales framework and actually take 15 to 20 minutes with the individual to find out what their needs are, their conversion rate went up by 40%. That 40% for that business means an extra $40,000 based off of their current ad spend on a monthly basis. Those are the numbers. What's 40 times 12? So that's the gap in almost every organization. Now, of course, they have to figure out their front-end marketing and messaging and stuff like that. As soon as that's taken care of, the biggest Achilles heel to a business, it has to do with their sales process. People that are laser-focused on sales and they understand the customer journey, those are the customers that are winning in today's market. You it's asked really me about creators, and I cut you off. Sorry, go ahead. No, it's, it's, it's interesting to think of, like, in the example of the front office worker. It's like, even online, virtually, like, 
that's like the first point of customer intent, right? Up to that point, they've just been walking along, but they've taken the time to either call or to opt in, whether if it's a form, like that's like your most important salesperson. And if you're not thinking of that person as your salesperson, then that's a place you should really change how you think about that. Uh, it's kind of, it's kind of mind boggling. It actually is. Think about how many businesses out there that do any kind of online marketing into some sort of service and the individual, the front, the very first person that the potential customer actually speaks with is a 15 to $20 an hour receptionist that is only thinking about what she or he is doing on the weekend. It is very problematic on a lot of different levels. People need to be sales oriented at the front desk. You need to actually hire and train for sales. You have to have you have to create a compensation plan that benefits them to be sales oriented. You have to have KPIs in mind as to how what are the numbers that you need to hit, making it simple and easy from a benchmark for somebody and hire and train around that versus were you nice to somebody on the phone? And this happens in a lot of businesses. Pretty crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, and I think that's one of the commonalities we see with the clients that we're most successful with. I know we have a, somebody who sells both franchises and services with us, and we've they've been one of our longest clients because they are dialed on the sales side. So yeah. it's easy for us to win and scale because they're dialed there. And even like the personal injury lawyer space, we've had a lot of success there because their whole intake and sales side is dialed. So it allows us to really focus on the marketing side and winning there and not having to win, not having to close it. I think it was Nick who said, your ads don't sell, right? Like it's your landing page and it's the interactions that you have with the customers. Yeah, no, 100%. If somebody's sales organization is dialed in, marketing and advertising at that point in business is pretty easy. If you understand your prospect well enough and you understand how to communicate with them within your marketing message, an easy process. So how would you go about like helping somebody build out a sales organization? Like we talked about like maybe in a physical space, the most important place to start would be your front office person yeah. or the first person to answer the phone. Like how would you expand that out, whether it's course creator or physical business? Course creators. For, so first and foremost, the easiest thing for to do for from a course creator standpoint is as the person has actually purchased the easiest thing to, for them to, the easiest way for them to start this entire process is depending on, you know, regardless of the vertical that they're actually in, if somebody paid 50 to 60 to a hundred dollars, whatever it may be for like your course or product, chances are they would actually pay a little bit more money for a little bit more attention, support, and make sure that they actually get what it is that they're trying to get done correctly. So the thing that I would do is first step, I would, after the point of purchase, I, I would create what I call like a call prep page. So I would take the messaging from the front end marketing and advertising down to the point of purchase. I'd create a video and I'd script this out where basically I'm welcoming, you'd start with number one, welcoming them and thanking them for purchasing the product. I would give them instructions on what was going to happen next from purchasing the product. Then what I would do is because I'm starting this out, I would create some sort of offering with ethical scarcity based off the fact that this there is ethical scarcity, meaning that because of the fact that you're not trying to obviously take on everybody that has recently purchased your course, but describe that individual on who you want to work with. And I would actually just start from a one-on-one -on -one standpoint. I would say, hey, listen, 
here's what I'm doing over the course of the next couple months. I'm looking to basically work with X amount of people. Here's the intention. Here's the need. This is based off of application essentially only. And I would create a, a sales process. What you're going to end up getting is about 20% of your actual purchasers that are actually interested in working with you at a different level. The second thing that I would do is I would jump on and have a 20-minute discovery call just to get to know them. If it makes sense for you to go further, then what I would do is I would have them consume a bit more content on what it is that you're actually going to be presenting to them, whether that's a small group coaching, whether that's one-on-one, -on -one, that really pre-frames and educates them on what it is that you're going to be doing with the individuals that you work with. Then jump on and explain the entire course product and actually close them into that deal. The second funnel methodology is to actually is to create, drive those initial purchasers into book scheduled calls, create initial rapport, coach and train them for about a week period of time, give value, then tee that a conversation up about going to the next step on joining some sort of other high ticket type of offering. So there's really simple and easy. If the easiest thing for somebody to do is to start out with essentially offering some one-on-one -on -one training until it gets to the point where it's actually pretty busy and then offer some sort of like small group coaching. Yeah, I think that one-on-one -on -one training is a really important factor. Just also from the market research aspect. 100%. Like, That's you why learn you what there. your customers need, which tells you what you can build more of, which will then keep feeding that flywheel. That, that happens. I mean, that you could talk to any successful course creator that now has a successful back end, and they're going to tell you, here's how we started, but here's what we learned about what people were saying to us. Here's what we learned about what they wanted. Here's what they learned. And then they will adapt their offering based off the wants and needs of essentially their prospects that inevitably is going to get them the results that they're actually looking for the fastest. Yeah, I think that's something we've been hitting on a lot lately as well is like you have to talk to your customers. Yeah. It's not a one-sided relationship where you put out content, they give you money. If you really want to improve your customer experience and your product, you have to be talking to your customers, find out how they're experiencing your product, even how what they learned along the way throughout your whole funnel. And that really is what will drive your business to continue to iterate and grow. Yeah, 100%. The sad reality is that how many business owners are actually afraid of talking to their customers? It's like, oh, okay, they bought something. I don't know if I want to reach out to them and talk to them. Make that shift and just dive in, whether it's good news or bad news, or whether it's the biggest mistake a business owner can make is shying away from communicating with their customers. I would over-communicate. I would over give them access to uh, as much as obviously possible. I mean, there's got to be barriers and stuff like that. But the better connection that you have with your customer base, I was I, there, there's a correlation to customer relationship and obviously economics. And I'm probably not the first rocket scientist that said that in business, but there's a correlation there, Tom, for sure. How much should I be thinking about outsourcing my sales? And I know you mentioned like South America. Yeah. I suspect there's a, an initial reaction from a lot of people in the entrepreneurial space to try to outsource to the lowest cost place possible. I suspect that's not your opinion. You think that entrepreneurs have a problem with it? No, I think they think that's the easy solution is to outsource to the Philippines or Pakistan or India. So it, it, once again, it depends on your offering and it depends on the quantity of basically leads and engagement that you actually have on social media. So from my experience, if you have a low conversion on the back end, but high volume of interest. So let's say, for instance, 
if you're in a vertical, let's say you're marketing and advertising to a big ocean, let's just use like network marketing as a space, the network marketing MLM space. There's a lot of people inside of the network marketing space. Let's say if you market and advertise to that audience, most likely you're going to have a lot of people that go through like your funnel process because it's pretty easy to say, hey, I can help you to do X, Y, and Z. And that space is going to be interested in it. Does that make sense? Yeah. But to get that person all the way down to actually purchase something from you as far as from like a high ticket or high value standpoint, that means you have to have the right systems and processes. So step one would be to have an economic bucket that makes sense to reach out to those people with personnel that's actually willing to work extremely hard. From my experience, with that type of a vertical that's like high volume leads and lower conversion, essentially on the back end, by the nature of the space, you have to have a somebody that has maybe not as much sales background or talent and has like the perfect, we'll call it accent or whatever it may be. At that stage, it's a volume and work ethic basically game. So outsourcing that from there, everybody that's actually willing to have a conversation or a call. So you're just basically taking like a marketing funnel, it's a sales funnel, and you're pulling down people that are actually interested. That stage needs to go to a higher level skill set, somebody that has good interpersonal relationships, somebody that can actually learn preferably that person that needs to be domestic, that's also willing to work hard, that knows how to pre-frame, pre-sell essentially a sales conversation that then can essentially go to a closer. Now, if you're in a different type of vertical, talking about like the psychiatrist is that they changed their processes, they hired a sales-oriented individual, but part of the problem was is that they're still doing tasks that are un-sales related. And I was like, look, no, what this individual needs to be doing is 100% focusing on helping you to acquire more customers and the customers that are actually coming in. If they're doing anything outside of that is a waste of your time and money. Outsource some VA, any monotonous essentially task so that individual can stay on the phone. And then anytime that they're not on conversations, let's hire or bring in somebody that can actually follow up. And all they need to do is to just book those individuals with appointments. If you, if that sales rep is actually on a call and they missed five calls, they shouldn't be scrambling to go back in and find those five people. They should actually be moving on to their next sales conversation. So let's hire a third party person utilizing steel automation to get all of those leads back into the sales pipe. So keeping the people that actually drive revenue for the business, laser focused on driving revenue, compensating them for their hard work and time. So this is like my first foray into like actually hiring salespeople. How should I think about compensation? There's a number of different ways to think about from a compensation standpoint. The reality is that if you're, if uh, being sales oriented and sales management oriented, you want people that want to be heavy on the commission side and low on the base side. Most people in the course creation space, they're without a doubt, they're just going to hire essentially 100% commission based only sales reps. That'll vary anywhere between based off of the bucket. That'll vary between sometimes essentially seven all the way up to basically 20% of the gross sell that was actually made. Okay. Now for somebody like a brick and mortar business, what you should be doing is you should create a compensation that's heavier on the commission side based off of the revenue that they drive with a low essentially base fee, but that you're hiring the right person that's like excited about the compensation from a commission standpoint versus the base. Obviously, the first thing that's a kind of a red flag when hiring a sales rep is that they want 
a really high base and a really low commission. If I'm interviewing for a sales position, the first thing I'm going to do is, can I get rid of the base? And can you pay me a lot more money on the sales that I'm actually generating? That's my mentality. So those are the things that you're looking for. As a business owner, you have to reverse engineer and say, if this person was absolutely just crushing it from a business standpoint, what would I want that individual and what would I be willing to actually make and reverse engineer the numbers? If they were doing okay, they'd be at this. If they were doing poor, I'd be assessing performance and actually getting rid of them. But you want to create it, reverse engineer it based off of what you're willing to pay, what the position actually is. So there's a lot of variables on compensation. Maybe we'll talk about what to look for when hiring sales reps. One of them was being, you want them to be like excited and searching more for commission than a base. What other sort of things are you looking for? Yeah. So sales is one of those things where, you know, part of the problem with especially people that come from like the quote unquote sales space is that you want somebody and you asked me the question right after the very the beginning of the call. And this isn't like a look at me moment, but you said that I had a ton of experience and I knew everything. In sales, you just want somebody that's like very coachable and teachable. So earlier you asked about how does a new course creator or business owner basically start that sales transition and hiring them. So first off, don't expect somebody to do something that you've never done before as a business owner. One of the biggest mistakes that a business owner, like your job as a business owner should be two things. Figure out how to advertise and figure out how to sell. And then go hire people based off of your product or service that can oversee operations. Those, that's the format. Focus on marketing and advertising and focusing on sales. Once you get big enough, the first thing that you should do is outsource the actual marketing and advertising and stay in the trenches on the sales. It's the lifeblood of basically the business. Keep your fingers attached to the business on the sales side. Then once you've figured out KPIs and what you've been able to accomplish from a sales standpoint, now you have a bar as far as from an expectation. So if you're a business owner that doesn't have sales skill sets, that's the first thing that I would be assessing is up leveling your sales skill set and talent, hitting KPIs and numbers, then thinking in terms of basically replacing you and moving outside of the business on the business versus in the business, that whole conversation there. But one of the cardinal mistakes that I see business owners is removing themselves too fast or going out there and hiring a quote unquote sales rep that is going to then save or solve all of the business problems needs. Now you're at that salesperson's beck and needs. If I'm a business owner, I want to make sure that like at any moment I can go into any function of my business if I had to and do that job better or essentially than anybody else that I'm actually working with. So it's easy for you to say... Yeah. Business owners should go sell because you're a sales guy. Let's say I'm a business owner. I don't feel comfortable doing sales. How do you coach somebody or teach somebody to change their mindset on that? Or yeah, get so over this fear or whatever that fear is. That's where the coaching basically starts. Number one, they have to be willing and open-minded to receiving coaching consulting. They have to recognize that they have to learn that skill set first. If they don't, that's fine. They can go hire somebody. And I've been in this position before where somebody brought me in and helped them to figure out their sales and because they trusted me and that worked out. But I would say that oftentimes if the business owner doesn't have that as a skill set, they're always relying upon what the salesperson basically is doing. And it's super problematic. So the business owner has to essentially reach the point that they're not happy with the results that they're getting from a business. And the only way that they're going to basically change the results is essentially by getting into the trenches, 
acquiring the skill sets that are actually needed and figuring it out. Yeah. And then going back to the market research aspect like that is how you learn what people, how people are experiencing your customer journey and what questions and objections they have, which you can feed back into your marketing flywheel where you start to address those earlier on. So you can have more meaningful, deeper conversations and sales versus always being on the defensive. So talking a little bit about messaging, what are some of the main messaging mistakes that you see in funnels and sales? Yeah. So some of the main, let's see, messaging and sales, like I I think that what the most glaring one that I see is that is the explanation. So in the course creation or basically like high ticket sales space is that if you don't do a good job framing the purpose of obviously the conversation and you're trying to drive somebody into basically booking a, a conversation with your team, which everybody understands that's a sales conversation, Now, as a business owner, you should have and really be ethical about the fact that if you promise a discovery component, if you promise that you're going to give value, if you promise that you're going to give roadmap, if you promise you're going to give clarity, you need to make sure that's a part of your sales process. So sometimes what will end up happening is that one of the biggest disconnects is that like coaches, consultants will, will essentially, they're off on their messaging. They'll create some sort of enticement for basically booking a scheduled call then what will end up essentially happening is it becomes like a pitch or just a sales conversation. Then the potential prospect exit that relationship frustrated or mad because the messaging wasn't congruent, which was what was actually in it for them. There's a lot of places like that in the sales process need to really be thought through. So not so much like specific messaging as it is just congruent messaging all the way through and delivering on what you say you're going to deliver. Imagine that. Yeah, that's it. You just put yourself in the prospect and imagine all the sales calls that you've been on as the consumer where you didn't get what was promised and how frustrated that is. And that's when you start searching for competitors. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. Yeah. For look at that tier 11 process and we don't onboard or we don't work with somebody until we've actually produced an entire strategic growth plan. When our strategic growth plans are 55 pages long where we evaluate their messaging, their media buying, their conversion rate. We look at like the numbers, what numbers have to happen from a CAC standpoint in order for it to make economic sense for them to hire us, for them to work with us. We map it all the way out prior to any kind of decision made. Then once you get down to that end of that that conversation and everybody's actually seeing the numbers, now it's like, a hey, these are easy decisions because it's either not the right fit and not the right timing or it's a no-brainer as to like why to move forward. Yeah. And it's it really sets the path for the way forward and sets the expectations. So you're not figuring it out after you close the sale. Here's what we're going to do. Here's how long it's going to take. And here's the results that we think we can achieve. Are you in? Are you out? It's very clear what the expectations are. Yeah. Yeah. Look, like the, <laughs> any business has learned this. Tier 11's learned this over deliver on expectations and absolute clarity is key to any business being crystal clear here's what we're going to do here's what you're going to do here's the results that we're going to shoot for here's when we're going to achieve it like the more clear it's the foundation i guess for any 
you'd think after 18 years of being married myself is that clear communication is a key, but I'm still trying yeah. to figure that one out. I, I imagine my wife would agree that I should start over-delivering. Over-delivering. <laughs> Yeah, I use the famous, I use the famous, I, I guess I've seen too many Disney movies now that I've got girls. It's, what do they say on Beauty and the Beast? How am I going to woo this girl? Give her chocolates and make her promises that you don't intend to keep. Yeah, we tend to do that in business sometimes. Promises that we don't intend to keep. Problem. Yeah. Any other thoughts on the sales management aspect of this? We've kind of hit on like the hiring, what to look for making sure that the code that the CEO or the founder is in there on the sales battlefield like when you start to scale a little bit how do you think about the management side of a sales team yeah i'll drop a couple like nuggets and some thoughts here sales management first off like what i've always done prior to working obviously and joining up with tier 11 is i have a very hard time and this could just be like be my ego. It could be that I'm a jerk. I have a very hard time listening to somebody that I don't know actually knows what they're talking about. Or if I don't believe that they know what they're talking about, I'm going to have a very, you're going to have a very difficult time convincing me. So I've always took the framework of, and this is back to my point on why it's so essential for the business owner to be in the trenches and actually prove it out is that it's very hard to hold somebody to a standard from a business standpoint of something that you haven't done yourself. So management, what I'll always do, I'll come in, I'll actually work along the salespeople, create camaraderie, competition, absolute clarity on their KPIs, and then I'm going to kick their butt in sales. That's the first thing that's going to happen. Then what's going to end up happening is that I'm going to create expectations based off of those results on making sure that they're hitting similar numbers or getting them to the point where they can get as close as possible. The other caveat, though, is that when it comes to management, it doesn't necessarily mean at the end of the day that individual has to be the top performer. Top performers doesn't necessarily mean that just because somebody, just because I'm going to like outclose somebody and produce more revenue, isn't necessarily the management criteria of whether or not I should be managing that organization. I have to be good enough to have the respect of basically like my peers, but at the same time, the dynamic and the culture is as important or more important than whether or not somebody's got a two to 3% conversion rate over essentially another salesperson. Then culture leadership, those components are essential with clear expectations on KPIs, with a clear understanding of whether your job is at risk or whether it's not. Like the sales is one of the easiest things to hire and fire for because it's, hey, there's always a clear expectation as to what should be happening from a results standpoint. And a salesperson that's looking at their numbers every day that knows that they're not hitting the results, they already know that they're gone. Right. So those are some of my sales management kind of things to think about. So what I'm hearing is as a sales manager, you got to flex your expertise and then build out culture and provide leadership then forward. Yeah, I tend to come with a bit of a lot of energy on that side. And there's a subtle flex. You've got you've to know what you're talking about. And you've got to be good at what you do for people to follow you. 
I just think anytime good leadership from a management standpoint is the person that's willing to basically get into the trenches and help people. So when I'm managing sales organizations, what I'm going to do is I'm not only going to come in and perform, but I'm going to outwork. I'm going to assist other people in the sales standpoint. If they're struggling with a potential prospect, I'm going to come in. I'm going to help them to close the deal. I'm going to make sure that they get the full commission. Sales management is all about coming in and just breeding the right energy with the right with the right intentions with the right respect and that's what builds fun organizations on yeah. the sales side at least no this is a specific sales thing but overall as management you want your team to be able to trust that you can come in and save their butts if need be oh you have the expertise to come in yeah here we've got a pretty sharp leadership team here at tier 11 we get some knucklehead ryan that comes in as the coo how long did it take him to basically earn everybody's trust in days yeah. You know what I mean? Because he came in, he worked hard, he's out working, he's outperforming, he's willing to do whatever it takes to basically get tier 11 to, to its goals. That's just good management at any level. Yeah. He's, he says he's been there before where we want to go, like been yeah. at bigger organizations. Yeah. Then he starts to not, and this is the subtle flex, right? Where with him, it's very much not like him flexing on, I, this is how I would do it, but it's just like little things that based off how he says it, that it comes from massive experience and not just some book he read. Yeah. Right. Yeah. At first it's, oh, okay. Sounds like you know what you're talking about, but let's call it what it is. And in the back of all of our minds as an executive team, we're like, prove it. Oh, okay. He's proven it. Now, now it's a different conversation. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Cool. Any other topics you want to hit on here today, Steve? Man, we've been jamming now for, what is it, 55 minutes? I think that I've probably, or yeah, an hour and four four minutes. I don't know if we happen to have any questions or anything else like that actually come in, but no, I think we've... We have a little bit from Grayson on LinkedIn, more asking about camp and telling you that you're dropping gold today. Grayson, thank you very much. I appreciate you. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Steve, thanks for hopping on today. I'm sure we'll do this again. I always enjoy jamming with you whether recorded or not. Yeah, and then for anybody out there wanting to work with Tier 11 and get Steve on a phone call with you, head over to tier11.com and there's a big old pink button where you can book a discovery call and talk to Steve and his team about how we could potentially help your business grow both in the marketing and the marketing and advertising side, but also look at your overall sales funnel and see how those two work together. And then if you found this content valuable, please comment and share. We enjoy doing these and sharing all the things that we know. And if you have questions, please drop them in the comments. Otherwise, Steve, thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Tom. Appreciate it, buddy. All right. See you. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to the Customer Acquisition Show. Take the next step toward growing your customer base. Visit tier11.com and request your customized growth plan. And remember to hit the follow button so you can be notified of future episodes. You know why most agencies fail in the first 30 days? Well, they don't do the work beforehand. And they realize once they start managing ad accounts and doing all the things that working alongside businesses like yours in order to get you the results that you want, they waste a whole lot of time in the first 30, 60, 90 days and they're fumbling around in the dark. That's because they have not used what we do over at Tier 11, what we refer to as the strategic growth plan. Now, a strategic growth plan is a deep dive into what has gone on inside your ad accounts and your business with all the important financial metrics that you need in order to scale and grow. We analyze all that 
come up with a plan that's 30, 60, 90 days out. And then we use that as our game plan once we start actively managing ads, once we start doing our creative research, once we start doing all our after-the-click extensive tracking on dev. But the plan is the key. And if you have an agency that is failing you right now, it's probably because they don't have a plan. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. So get your strategic growth plan over at tier11.com. Hit the big pink button, fill out the application, and we'll be in touch with you on how we can help you scale and grow your business through getting more customers and increasing their lifetime value. That's all we do at Tier 11. Head on over to tier11.com. Get your growth plan today.